Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Fam Detail. We're Morty and Jess, two fans that tell tales of the weird, the bad and the spooky. Before we get into it, I thought we'd introduce ourselves and talk about our intentions for the podcast. Tell us about yourself, Morty. I'm the world's angriest Pisces. I once fought a snake when I was a baby, and if I could have dinner with any historical figure, it would be Agatha Christie. As for me, I'm Jessica. I like podcasts, uh, the supernatural, just girly things, you know? So, (laughs) Jess just asked me if I wanted to own to my snot break, and I absolutely do. My nose is running, so apologies for the the snuffles. Horrifying, gurgling noises (laughs) coming from my body. (laughs) Podcast wise, we're going to be doing all things a bit dark. It's so weird. Yeah. Like the weird, the weird, the unusual. Yeah. So we're going to like a little bit of murder, a little bit of the, the paranormal. It's scams. I'm mm. being on scams at the moment. Oh. Not not committing them, I mean reading about them. Sure, Jen. I, I don't think I could scam someone if I wanted to. Yeah, I think we both have way too much anxiety. Even if it's like real cool, like Ocean's 8 style. I, yeah, I get too scared to ask for equals when I go to get my coffee. So it's just basically, yeah, the idea of pulling off identity theft or anything like that is just completely off the table. So basically, when Jess and I conceived of this podcast idea, we... We conceived. <laughs> we conceived of it. We, we, uh, we, we birthed it. Um, we brainstormed all of our ideas, and I put them into an app that just randomised them all. And the one that we came up with today was reality TV. Now, reality TV, I think, is... It's sort of like there's like a a wealth of horrible fucked up things that happen. I think that's just inevitable when you have uh, ratings and sponsorship based on views and views are based on drama and interpersonal, um, I was going to say interpersonal (laughs) hassling. When I was first thinking of topics, the ones that came to mind were there was that line game. And the woman got murdered, so it was basically you hooked up to a lie detector or whatever. By the end of the episode, Is she'd revealed... Ruth Talia Sayers, was that in? I, I really can't oh, remember. Because okay. that, that, yeah, that happened in um, South America. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, so just that's what came to mind for me, but I didn't cover that one because I knew my favourite murderer had done it. Yeah. And I uh, wanted to do something a little bit more niche, a bit more... Australian, bit bit local. Yeah, my, mine's not Australian, so I'm, oh, no, that's I'm okay. a liar. But like, <laughs> mine mine is now. Before I begin, I want to. It's sort of like a little disclaimer. I got the idea from my favorite murder with Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark, where basically they they like to emphasize the fact that they don't think that horrible things happening to people is funny. It's more, it's more how. And I'm, I speak for myself here, but I think you're quite similar, is that often mm. you will make jokes to sort mm. of help yourself process horrible bullshit. Yeah, I think it's a common kind of coping mechanism. And I do find, I don't know, there's a whole thing at the moment, like women and serial killers, and I'm not talking about like the people who want to bone them. Yeah. But like, I don't know, just uh, a lot of women especially do seem to be sort of interested in sort of the, I don't know, abnormal psychology of it and everything. Yeah, Yeah. and I think when, because, you know, women tend to be sort of the, statistically, we tend to be the victims, I think it's it's fine to be able to to, to find a way of, I don't want to say reclaiming, because you can't reclaim serial killers, that sort of thing, but, like, find find a way to be interested in something that is definitely, you know, I've gotten off off topic here. Now, 
yeah, so I just want to emphasize that I don't think bullying is funny. I don't think, you know, violence is funny. But when it comes to the perpetrators of horrible things, I think they are fair game. Mm. For someone who's, like, borderline goth, you are, like, a soft, soft bitch. And I love it. Thank you. I, I, soft, soft goth is, is, yeah. I, I go for business goth during the mm. day and then it's soft goth in the evening. Yeah. So basically when it comes to the, the, the perpetrators of nasty shit, uh, if you didn't want to be disrespected on podcasts, you shouldn't have been a dickhead. True. Wise words. We're both here with like our, our various tea drinks. Uh, podcasting virgins, and we're like, I'm gonna lubricate the throat, keep <laughs> <laughs> it moist. Mm, that- Sorry to the three people that just tuned out because I said the word moist. Alrighty, you ready? I'm ready. Rip off that band aid. I got a very serious question to ask you. Oh, okay. I'm scared. Do you want to be on top? Um. Oh. Oh. <laughs> in the in the Tyra Banks way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We were saying, I literally knew what you were doing, and I was still, that's a bit, that's on recording and everything. She's being rude again. <laughs> so, for context, the Australian spin-off of America's Next Top Model, the Tyra Banks masterpiece and television cultural phenomenon first aired in 2005. I watched some of the first cycle, but unfortunately, I was 13 in 2005, and poised to embark on my not-like-other-girls phase, which meant that I would loudly scorn anyone who admitted to caring about their appearance or enjoying fashion or beauty or anything, let alone commercial TV basically dedicated to all of the above, mixed into a pressure cooker of drama and bitchy behaviour. I don't think I've ever seen the Australian one. Was it on free-to-air? It was on Fox 8. Okay, oh, no, I didn't have that. And that's I, fancy folk talk. That's why I think I I think I must have watched it at a friend's house because we absolutely did not have Fox yeah. 8. Like my, my parents are staunch, like, yeah. SBS. <laughs> <laughs> they're, Love they're, me some SBS. They're, they're big fans of the, the legendary Lou Lin Chin. Um, <gasps> aren't we all? Yeah. Aren't we all? What an icon. Anyway, <laughs> so... I'm just going to go through some of the sources that I used when I was reading up about this. Now, so first off, there's an article written for the Herald Sun published on their website on the 14th of May 2008. So these are not these are not super recent. A lot of this stuff happened, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And I think the nature of reality TV, unfortunately, you can be so on top, as it were, yeah. and then it's just you are totally out of the public eye. Yeah. You're everywhere and they've got all the paparazzi and stuff and then you're just a normal person again. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. it's interesting that they refer to it as cycles rather than seasons because it's mm. just like you cycle through these girls and it's just... Oh, uh, yeah, I, I like a care. washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> a washing machine of hate. Um, so, 14th of May 2008, the Wikipedia article on the series as a whole for airing dates and timelines, an article from Mamma Mia by Rachel Wagner from September 20th, 2016. Sorry, I just burped. I've burped twice already, but I didn't say it, so I was hoping it was, like, still. (laughs) (laughs) Um, September 20th, 2016, an article from the Sydney Morning Herald from August 14th, 2013, an article on the death of former Judge Charlotte Dawson from the Sydney Morning Herald by Natalie O'Brien and Nick Ralston from February 22nd, 2014, another article on the same topic from The Guardian on Saturday the 20th, 22nd of Feb 2014, a Daily Telegraph article on Jodie Mears from September 22nd 2008, and a third Sydney Morning Herald article by Michael Idato. 
He's going to track you down. Oh, yeah, he's going to fuck me up. Um, from August 7, 2011, entitled Model Behaviour. Makes sense. <laughs> now, I'm about to say something a little bit controversial, but uh, some of the above publications aren't really known for their stellar journalism. But um, <laughs> I use Wikipedia, no judgment. Wikipedia is the the fountain of knowledge, and I will I, I regularly donate my three dollars when the little thing comes up. Because... You are a better man than me. <laughs> Like it's it's three dollars and they have served me well on many occasions. Mainly when I want to find out what things an actor's been in. When I'm like, <laughs> you're in that thing. Like, <laughs> oh, like every day on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when I did go through these articles, I was pretty impressed by the lack of editorializing and, and you know, it, it, they seem to be sort of like just the facts, ma'am, sort of thing. So, the basic premise of the show is almost identical to the US version. A number of contestants are selected through an audition process of girls and young women all over Australia. These women then go to live together in a big fancy house. They participate in challenges centred around modelling. In the fashion industry, they take masterclasses from a guest judge and compete to win a final prize, a modelling contract. Now, I don't know much about the particulars of the contract or its validity, but it does seem like a recipe for an absolute nightmare, especially for girls who are maybe not prepared mm. for the realities of the industry or have like a romanticised view of how it's going to be when they start getting jobs, because not, not everyone is Christy Tellington. And I think the image of like the, like the jet-setting supermodel is probably not super realistic, although... I'm the last person who should be waxing lyrical about it. <laughs> I'll flick you on the nose if you do any self-doubt. Like. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I, oh. that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a, like, ooh. Well, that's last my fallen model career. <laughs> it, was, it was more, I, I, I want to acknowledge my ignorance on this matter, yeah. Right, yeah. You haven't worked as a model and things like that. I have not. I, yeah. I am five foot four and change. Like, <laughs> I'm 5'2". <five> God <laughs> bless you. <laughs> You're, oh. a little, you're a little wanton. Oh, bless. <laughs> yeah. I've got friends that are models. Yeah. Yeah. How tall are they? Um, I don't know. Tall than me. Tall. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just go tall. Okay. Yeah. Oh, like, after this next episode, I'll confirm my friends be tall. Yes. Yeah. It's not hard to be taller than us, though. So, I personally think that the early 2000s were pretty much horrific when it came to things like weight and bullying and eating disorders and things like that. So. Being rail thin was still very much a thing after the heroin chic of the 90s. If you're easily disturbed by images, uh, don't Google that, because basically there were, like, fashion shoots where, you know, the model was made to look like they had died as a result of heroin abuse, and it was just mm. unbelievably awful. They've sort of done shoots like that on America's Next Top Model. Yeah. Like, not in those exact words, but, like, I think there was, the I remember, same, <laughs> yeah. There was one where they, the girls were supposed to be murder victims, and they were posing like dead bodies, and I was yeah. just sort of, on one hand, cool. On yeah. the other hand, what the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously... I know that these horrible standards and values still exist, but there was no real widespread body positivity movement and no Instagram, where along with these incredibly perfect women, that you could you could also see women with, who had bodies that deviated from the industry standard because, you know, there's no attractiveness requirements for being on Instagram. 
Now, I wasn't sure how to structure this story because the issues that I want to touch on sort of range from lol, funny, gossip, haha, what a bitch, to unbelievably sad and awful. So I'm going to just work through some examples of how fucked this show was and try not to give the impression that any of the tabloid drama is comparable to the actual real-life consequences of it. Now, first off, one of the original judges was Jodie Mears, a former glamour model and ex-wife of James Packer, the casino mogul, and one of the wealthiest men in Australia. His net worth is approximately $4 billion. $682,288,000 Australian dollars, or 3.2 billion USD. I could have just said 3.2 billion USD, but because we're Australians and we're very patriotic, um, (laughs) I decided to, you know, check that. Yeah. Because exchange rates are important. And assuming we get viewers, I imagine all three of them will be Australian. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's like our mums. Um, So I know this... (laughs) Sorry. Luke's earring just fell off. It's the spooky ghosts. You're not even talking about a ghosty topic and they were like, no. Okay, you can just stay there because you can't be trusted. It may not seem super relevant, but these are the sort of people that we're talking about. So Sarah Murdoch, one of the judges on Later Cycles, was married to Lachlan, the son of Rupert Murdoch, one of the richest men in the world. And he was so wealthy that he had to be legally stopped from having a monopoly on media outlets, which is some 1984 Ah, shit. Nice. So Jodie copped a lot of criticism for not being animated enough on the show. Now, I've watched some of the footage, and yes, she does seem stiff, but it's more like, you know, stage fright as opposed to, like, actual... Right, because, like, had she done... I don't know, like TV work. I think I think she was in commercials in like like ads yeah. in the early nineties. But that's playing someone else, don't you? Yourself, yeah. 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 Very good point. So I mean people compartmentalise all the time. And I guess in that show, like as a judge too, they're asking for your opinions. So you've kind of got to have that delay of like, uh, do, oh, what do I think? Yeah. yeah. Like how do I how do I temper this so I don't come across as a huge asshole, so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, she doesn't do or say anything embarrassing. Like, she just seems really uncomfortable. Now, Jodie ended up quitting the show just four hours before the live finale of season four. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I got to like, you're probably under some real stress, like, four hours before. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, that's home stretch, baby. Uh, that's, it's interesting that you said that because given one of the notes that I've made here is given the amount of money, reputation, and reportedly her relationship with her manager, which, you know, I think when you work in like PR and TV, like, I feel like your relationship with your manager Mm. is important. Like so much was on the line. I don't think you just, I don't think you just do that on a whim. No. Like I think some things would have had to have been really hmm. bad for her to be like, no, I can't. Like, I can't well, I, I've never watched the show, don't have an impression of this woman, but I guess even if you've worked in an industry like that, I, I, it wouldn't be an easy industry. So I imagine she's encountered things before that have been upsetting or not comfortable. Yeah. And she's managed to get to the point in her career where she was good enough to be a judge on this show. So surely she's not just, you know, that difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it's like you, you don't you don't get to that level being terrible <laughs> or like having the thin skin. Mm. Plus, her swimmer swimwear brand Tiger Lily was featured on the show. Oh, okay, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. So that's not something that you just realize that I can't talk with my hands. I just, <laughs> I just gest- gestured like throwing something to the wind. 
Yeah, that's not something that you take lightly. Now, yeah, because she had a partnership for her own business, yeah. So in the 90s, Jodie was a glamour model, which I always thought was sort of a very genteel way of saying very softcore, like, nudie duties. <laughs> I was wondering what phrase you were going to do, and that's fantastic. Because I didn't want to say porn, because it's not, it's not porn, it's yeah. just nudies. <laughs> like, I have never, is that like an actual thing, nudie duties? I've never heard that phrase, or is that a modism? I heard it on Orange is the New Black. Oh, okay. In the first episode where Piper's going to jail and she's with uh, the CO who's making an undress. And the CO's like, do you have any nudie duties? And Piper just says, no nudie duties. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, yeah, like, you know, where things are like, they're a bit rude, but they're not like. Yeah. Oh, that was a good gesture, see, because it had it had noise. It had sound, yeah. yeah. That's, 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 that's the sound of a porn. Okay. <laughs> Lingerie and swimwear modelling, although to be quite honest, I don't know enough about the industry to, other than that, it is distinct from fashion modelling, which is more about the clothes than the, like, voluptuousness. <laughs> again, yes, I'm doing it again. Miming large breasts. <laughs> oh, how about I be a translator for your uh, gestures? That's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, physical comedy is one of my favourite things, but it probably isn't appropriate in this context. You Um, can give it your darndest. (laughs) Story of my life. So, yeah, sexiness of the body. One result of this was that she was criticised for not being a good choice for a judge, which seems a bit like bullshit. And, yeah, I don't know, like, the audience is different and the vibe is different, but I feel like it's still sort of fairly an intense industry regardless. Now, I don't know how relevant this is, but after Jodie quit, she went and joined Scientology. Oh. Um, look. (laughs) Which leads me to my next question. How much of an arsehole do you have to be to someone to make them think that Scientology is a better option? Now, I checked, okay? (laughs) Scientology, you can't sue me, okay? So, yeah. Eat that. Sorry, continue. (laughs) That's okay. I was just, uh, it was pretty much, mm, Scientology. Yeah, delicious. Continue. Okay. Uh, I'm playing with fire here. <laughs> They're going to track us down, us and all two of our viewers. <laughs> Turn away the third one. Like, <laughs> they left. <laughs> you wake up in the middle of the night and Tom Cruise is just standing over you with his weird, like, middle tooth. Are we <laughs> taller than Tom Cruise? I think no. I oh. think he's five foot five. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's not, he's little, but he's not. Like, I I didn't think he I didn't think I'd be taller than him, but I could dream. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taller, put it on your CV. Taller than Tom Cruise in heels. Uh, <laughs> pardon me. So you got the black lung. Part. I got I got the black lung. You better not have the Ronas. No, I don't. I don't have the Rona. It's because I was <laughs> smooching a cat. I, I, <laughs> I so, just heard the smoke, and I'm like, you've been smoking. You're an asthmatic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah, I'm super allergic to cats, and I somehow now have a cat. He adopted us. The one chooses the wizard, Harry. The w- yeah. <laughs> we both sound like um, emphysemic weasels. Like, because we're both doing the same, like, I think it's like a nervous wheeze, like. <gasps> but he's very cute. He's a ginger. He's a, he's a good boy. He's a ginger. He's built like a barrel with a really tiny, cute head. Aww. If for, for like... I mean, same. <laughs> <laughs> so if people are bullying the judges, 
and figures that the teenage contestants were horrendous to each other too, right? Uh, now, I wasn't a bully in high school. I think I probably wanted to be one if I could have been, but uh, the problem was that nobody really gave a shit what I thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just laughing at your no. suffering. No, so, but, like, oh, it, it, it's, it's good. It, it builds character. So if I had, you know, said something rude, the reaction would have been, like, you know, like, okay, like, why are you here? Why are you talking? Also, at the time, I thought I was really witty and, you know, like, pierce people with my erudite uh, <laughs> observations. So it was just basically the teenage girl version of the guy in the fedora, like, chopping a Bible with a samurai sword. Basically, you know, like, intelligence is my weapon to have to do battle. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm euphoric on atheism or whatever it is. Like Reddit slash atheism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not good. Very unfortunate. Now, before I say this, I want to emphasise that these are, by and large, teenagers. Children. And this, and in 2008, so they're likely older now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, That's generally yeah, yeah. not progression this is, this is This yeah. is this is occurring um, in the past. Yeah. Not currently. Being left unsupervised in a huge mansion together and all these interactions being filmed. And I also strongly suspect that they were probably being produced in a way to get the most drama out of them, like, being prodded to go and, like... Well, and they probably would have been tired. Yeah, yeah. And, as I said, I haven't seen the Australian one, but certainly in the American one, they have to do uncomfortable things, wake up early, get poked and prodded. Like, Mm. you wouldn't be feeling like your jazzy, exuberant self if you were nice. you got to wake up at five and go and pretend to be a dead body. Glamour. Yeah, so I think that they were being sort of pushed to say things that they might not have said if Mm. they weren't sleep-deprived and had privacy and space to, like take the heat out, yeah. cool down. So I think, you know, because I've auditioned for Big Brother before, it is part of the show, mm. but they do the fake nominations when you're in the group part of the audition. And because you've only known these people two minutes, yeah. you just kind of have to throw someone under the bus. So it's kind of stuff like that. That's dark. But And they do ask you, like, really um, polarising questions too, like, uh, at the time, because this was before the plebiscite, which is our gay marriage referendum for overseas folks and they would do you believe in gay marriage yes no and you couldn't really do like an in-between mm. or anything like that um, so obviously people get like a bit yeah 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 because yeah it's designed to to produce the most clashing i, I went to do mm. the, the horn <laughs> gesture again i don't know why so one of the main stories of Ass headery that uh, it comes from season four, where the con- contestant who ended up winning, uh, Demelza Reveille, sixteen at the time of shooting, was accused of bullying another contestant, Alamela Rowan, seventeen. Now, reportedly, Alamela was left in tears on a number of occasions following verbal abuse, having a wa- bowl of water dumped on her, and having a water balloon thrown at her. The judges on this season did reprimand the girls, although the dickheadery, uh, or, or, <laughs> although dick. Although reprimand could mean a number of things. Did they explicitly say what? No, it, yeah. it was just basically like... it. it you sounded, got them talking to? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it sounded ineffectual. Okay. Because, you know, evidently it didn't actually stop. Yeah. So the ringleader of the dickheadery, I don't know why I thought that I could say that out loud, defended herself by saying she was very different from a lot of the girls in the house and separated herself very early on. I guess we didn't understand her. There was a barrier, which is you don't have to understand someone to not. Can you can you, can you imagine like going into your job 
and someone's just like, hey, Jess, eat water balloon. And just like, <laughs> like you're, you're there in like your nicely pressed shirt and everything and you're just like tap, tap, tapping away. And it's just like suddenly I'm wet. Like, <laughs> like can, can, you, can you imagine? This is yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Not conducive to a good, happy workplace environment. No. Mm. Although, sidebar. When I I attended a private girls' school in high school, and it was made up of girls who boarded and girls who didn't, and I, I didn't because you know I my parents loved me and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that, that's that's rude. I don't. Know also, that. that you are a local. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was more geographic than 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 anything else. But <laughs> I had heard a rumor that some girls were in the shower, and some other girls had procured raw squid. I heard the word raw and I'm like, whatever this is, it's not going to be good. (laughs) This doesn't end well for anybody. Yeah. Like raw squid, like the, you know, like the tube and the legs as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So full formed, yeah. Fully, fully formed squid. Full body, yeah. Voluptuous. (laughs) I'm doing the the boob mime. The boob, the boob mime. Mm. And yeeted them over the tops of the shower stalls. Mm. So, you, you know, you're like, dun, 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 in the shower. Cracking. And Alfred Hitchcock is there, and it's just it's just bad. So, um, yeah. Yeah, like, I think, yeah, it's not normal to behave like that. But, like, I guess with all these TV productions, they do have an element of care. They're, you know, like, they're acting as the guardians i guess for that time when you do have teenagers especially in the house you're sort of acting in that guardianship role so it's not hugely abnormal or unexpected that some of them may be dicks to each other yeah yeah but yeah i think i think it's not also usually when if you're getting bullied it's not being broadcast on television that is also true yeah yeah although in this digital age oh damn instagram <laughs> Oh, God, I'm so glad that Instagram didn't exist when I was a teenager. Oh, holy shit. We yeah. only just slid in the Facebooks, really, in yeah. high school. Yeah. I think I think I got Facebook when I was in year 12. And I never had a MySpace, so... I got Facebook in year 11, I think. Uh, so that's, like, when you're about 17, 18, is what yeah. we're saying. Yeah, so... We were semi-mature. I, I had a Bebo account. Oh, I had a Bebo! And I used to... I had two Bebo accounts. <laughs> and I... Oh, Bebo! I sent myself... Fake messages from my fake boyfriend to my Bebo account telling me how pretty I was. Oh, sweet. 2005 was not a good year for me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Hmm. Also, I trans, for some reason, I translated some of my, my blogging into German because I thought German was a very goth language. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> And I, yeah, I had when, you know how when you go onto the page and you can hear music playing, I had um, oh, Ramstein. you had something auto-playing, yes. Ram, yeah, Ramstein. Was it Duhasmish? It was Rosenrode, oh, which I'm not. definitely pronouncing wrong, but it was, okay. it was a cool song. I still listen to that song, actually. It fucking slaps. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> L- love, there. I love me some side banter. Like, <laughs> it's definitely we're, another disclaimer that we're not going to be a super serious uh informative podcast it's definitely one with asides and banter so if you're not into the banters go listen to the abc radio get get some sbs up in you yeah <laughs> so uh this faction of girls in the house were labeled as the dapto dogs by a judge which did 
That, I mean, you're an adult. What's, what's Dacto mean? I thought it was a suburb of Sydney. Okay, I was going to say it's a place. Yeah, I, I, but that being said, I don't think that's actually the case because I know one of these girls, like some of them were from like Wollongong. Like, oh. I'm about to get, yeah. That's all right. Something. Whoever actually knows things or perhaps if we remember, we will Google it afterwards. Mm. But all two of our listeners, someone Google that and give us a correction for next week. Yeah. So, yeah. On to season eight. Now, reading about this, I had, like, uh, I was going to say Munchausen's by proxy, but <laughs> the, um, <laughs> you know when you get, like, secondhand embarrassment, but, like, oh. it was, like, secondhand panic attack where I was, like, you know. There are literally shows I can't watch because they get that too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Some comedy shows, I'm just like, no. Especially, uh, uh. especially like, when the not all participants are aware that it's uh, a joke. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and it's just, you know, like, the man on the street type thing where it's just like, hello, sir, do you have a big dick? And it's just, yeah. It's yeah. just run. Yeah. Not good. Um, Look at our soft beans that are into murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was getting heart palpitations reading about it. Now, when the winner was being read out, Sarah Murdoch, the judge, stated that the contestant, Kelsey Martinovich, had won and the tearful, like, oh my god, I won speech happened. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. And when she was in the middle of the speech, Sarah interrupted her (gasps) and said that she had in fact read out the wrong name. I did know this, yeah. Like, and I haven't watched the show, but this was a, a thing. This was a thing. Yeah, yeah. And another contestant, Amanda Ware, was in fact the winner. <gasps> now, do you remember when Steve Harvey did that on the Miss World? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was like... Move countries, change your name. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I would... I One one thing that I always say is that, okay, so for contextual purposes, there's a, a town in South Australia called Coober where basically everyone... It's so hot that everyone lives underground. It's amazing. Like, I would just create my own Coober <laughs> Right here, just by tunneling under the earth to escape my shame. Yeah, and then just use calls online delivery or something. Mm. Yeah, and they can drop it down your hole. (laughs) Hole snacks. Hole snacks. Yeah, nice. Now, Sarah said that she had been given the wrong name through her, like, live feed <gasps> earpiece. What? Which I, I actually believe. Like, I mean, you're a professional. She knew what she was doing. You don't just fuck that up. Yeah, unless they were told her the runner-up first. Yeah. Because you know how they do that thing, and they're like, and the runner-up is, which means, mm. what is the next top model? They do it that way. Like, they tend to say the second place. So maybe there was, there could have been a miscommunication. If we're going to give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt... A hundred percent, I believe she heard that name. Yeah, and said the name she was given because why? Why wouldn't she? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, if any lozenger companies want to sponsor us, yeah. Up. It's winter in Australia, by the way. So it's winter, and we also live in a very like everyone has a wood fire. Yeah, even in like the middle of summer. So. <laughs> so we live in a mountain town, and it's like a bowl. Yeah. But the bowl, because like, of the wood smoke, and actually, even though we're country folk, we have really bad pollution because of the wood fire. <laughs> to, to the point where the local council was, hey, we can't, we're like, people are getting really sick because it's just like walking through, you know, the level of pollution is so bad. Like, I, I remember when I used to walk to work mm. at like four o'clock in the morning and it'd be like, I felt like I was in like a Jack the Ripper movie where I just Yeah, that's an aesthetic col- though. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Love it. Yeah, it's like Silent Hill where it's buffering. They yeah. hit it behind the fog. Yeah. yeah. Pyramid Head comes out the side. I, I'm almost certain that I've seen Pyramid Head. Yeah. In town. Fair enough. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. 
So another drama of note, and of in the margins I've just written, damn, <laughs> is an incident where one contestant choked another on camera and the Ooh. footage was used to advertise the upcoming episode. Ooh. So at this point, there's no plausible deniability that they're being produced for drama for views. Like, you can't be like, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. Like, <laughs> it was a choke. Yeah. Now, I saved... I saved a still from the footage, but then I left it on my computer at home. It's not super clear what's going on. Okay. So, at the when I first sort of looked at it, I was like, ha ha ha, like, who hasn't wanted to choke a bitch? Yeah. I mean, we've all sort of, if you've ever worked in, like, the service industry or... I've definitely thought about it. <laughs> you get me, babe. Now, um... I'm just going to put my notes down for a second because I need to mine something. Is that okay? okay? Yep. Okay. okay. So basically what happened was is that... Ooh, are you going to choke me? I'm going to pretend to choke you. Okay. My hands are really cold, so I'm not going to actually touch <laughs> you. So the, basically what happened is that the girls, they had like a painting challenge, which when I read that, I was like, how does a painting challenge... Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah. Like, how does that descend into like, I'm going to fuck you up? It's, you know, something that you do, like, you know, they... they they do it like people who've experienced trauma. Paint your feelings, express yourself. And, you know, I I personally like to do ink drawings. Now, what actually happened was these, these girls are, like, decked out in Breaking Bad, like, Tyvek suits. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and after the actual challenge, challenge yeah. was over, one of them started lobbing paint mm. at another girl, and she was, no, stop. Like, this isn't fun. Yeah. I'm not I don't want to be lobbed, yep. Mm. And reportedly what she what she did, because this girl wouldn't stop, is that she sort of lunged at her and was okay. like, I'm going to fucking strangle you. Yeah, okay, so we've got the, the strangle, got the, the strangle stra- hands. The strangling hands. Yeah. But, but not people- necessarily on the neck. Yeah. I think I think that the hands were on the neck. But maybe no pressure? That, yeah, there was no, okay. like, there was no carotid mangling going on. Yeah. So, mm. and... It then cuts to footage of the girl that was choked, and she's very right. So it's kind of like scene missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you wonder what. So there probably is footage of it. So they may have cut it to look more dramatic, yeah. or they may have cut it to avoid liability. Yeah, <laughs> like... <it's> like... <laughs> Wait, we've, we've been that 50-50. teenage fight club. Mm. Now, <sighs> this was probably foolish of me putting the the really horrible series. I. This You can't not talk about this show and not talk about it. So I'm just going to get into it. Now, on 22nd of February 2014, former judge Charlotte Dawson committed suicide in her Willamalu home. She had been the target of hateful online bullying, a lot of it relating to her choices as a judge on the show. The Daily Telegraph accused her of being a hypocrite by participating in the anti-cyberbullying campaign Community Brave, as she had been known to be very harsh and critical of contestants on Top Model. But as a judge, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So also, it's kind of TV. contextual a little bit, yeah. Now, um, Peter Ford from Melbourne's 3AW radio program commented that the problem of Charlotte taking on this cause, her mm. act is about abusing people and putting them down so it becomes a bit murky as to why mm. she has become a champion of this particular cause. Now, she's playing a role. Yeah, it's really hard to... Yeah, I don't know ethically where I stand on that because obviously when you watch some of these shows, some of the judges are really mean. Like Simon Cowell. Like, some people get... Uh, notorious and known for it. Yeah. But I think mm. I think it's part of, like, the whole good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Thing. Like, they have to it, have... It might have even been a contractual thing without knowing anything about it. Mm. And the compartmentalisation that we were talking about before, it might not be anything like she 
uh, was as a person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um not... That's it's, rough, yeah. It's called reality TV, but I don't think that... Big inverted commas there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go back to some stuff that I remember from when this happened. Is yeah. That I, I saw a news article shared on Facebook, and I had that real same reaction of, well, you know, it's hard to have empathy for someone who is suffering or has, you know, suffered terribly as a result of bullying when they come across as such a bully on TV. And I sort of, that was sort of mm. my, my, my knee-jerk reaction. And then one of my friends commented mm. that, you know, I really don't want to hear about how Charlotte wasn't very a nice person. That doesn't equate to deserving yeah. what happened to her. Which yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And I guess even with those, the newspaper people, like, saying that, criticising her before her death, I guess with them, some of that might have been a bit venomous too. Yeah. But I guess I don't really hold them responsible. No. Contributing factors, yes, but it's not... It's a very unfortunate tragedy and there are elements that are in place. Mm. It's just it's just fucked all around. Yeah. Like there's no there's that's no, a good way to say it. You can't, yeah you can't. It's hard to have a sort of this is what I believe stance on something mm. that's that awful. But um yeah. So with that incredibly depressing note, I would like to conclude this presentation. Wow. Thank you for your time and your attention. And remember to smile and be fierce. And now a word from our sponsors. So just. We run a dark and spooky podcast, but life isn't all darkness and spookiness. No, there's things like puppies, kittens, and babies. <laughs> we don't have kids ourselves, but my favourite place to shop for my friends' kidlets is the Rainbow Room. The Rainbow Room is a baby and children's store with a variety of clothing, handmade toys and giftware, available online or at the storefront in regional New South Wales in a little town called Gyra. Visit the Rainbow Room by Facebook slash the rainbow room dot shop slash or uh, in person at 91 Bradley Street, Gyra, New South Wales. If you don't have a baby, perhaps you can also buy it for your cryptid. Mothman needs to look decent in his threads too. Oh, little baby Mothman. Moth, moth baby. He ain't no man. <laughs> One day he will be a man. Aww. I think I should do a content warning for mine. Mm -hmm. Mine also features a suicide, mm -hmm. but I do feel like the vibe of it's a bit more, uh, like, spooky interesting rather than, you know, completely depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Maud, why do you like ghosts? That is such a good question. But you ask. <laughs> I'm not 100% certain that I believe in ghosts. I, I believe in the great unknown. What about you? So, I'm the same as you. Like, I like to think myself as a skeptic, but I think it's super cool. The way that I, for reference, when I refer to Luke, that's my fiancé, he's a tall, handsome, bearded man. When I explained it to my fiancé, Luke, I said, I, I don't believe in them, but I believe in them enough that I wouldn't deliberately annoy them. So I wouldn't. Let's get out the Ouija board and disrespect the spirits. <laughs> <laughs> I've told you I've used a Ouija board, haven't I? I think you have, but yeah. I, I probably was just like, get behind me. Okay, so topic number two. This is generally going to be how we do it. So Morty will present one, I'll present one, and we'll, you know, banter as we go. Yeah. So uh, without giving too much away, because you didn't know what topic I was going to do, because we decided we wouldn't tell each other after I already knew what yours was. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the BBC Ghost Hunting uh, Special Ghost Watch? 
it's not the one. It's not the one that's, too much. that's run by the, the main presenter is a lady with red hair. No. Oh, okay. No. okay, then no. <laughs> I only heard about it maybe like this year or last year, mm-hmm. and I was so blown away because it was so fascinating. But before we get into the juicy marrow that is the content, uh, better start with some credits. So the first article I used was Ghostwatch, The Halloween Hoax That Changed the Language of Television by Kate Mossman. I also used the unbelievable true story of Ghostwatch, The Greatest Horror Hoax in TV History by Callum Marsh. And lastly, but not leastly, because leastly is totally a word, I use... Is now. (laughs) I use Ghostwatch, the BBC spoof that duped a nation by Rebecca Woods, which was a BBC News one, and that was... The, probably one of the most recent ones, 2017. So Ghostwatch is actually a bit sort of on the border of our topic this week because it's plot twist, not actually a reality TV show, but it was presented as if it was one, hmm. if you're following me. So it was definitely scripted. And even if it wasn't strictly uh, a reality TV show, its legacy, which we'll definitely get stuck into later, is well-placed in reality. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it kind of blew me away. The whole thing from the program itself to the aftermath, it's all nuts. Yeah. Uh, so Ghostwatch was originally <coughs> conceived by a writer named Stephen Volk as a six-part drama in which a fictional paranormal investigator and a TV reporter teamed up to look at poltergeist activity in a North London housing estate. With the final episode, what he envisioned was a seemingly live TV broadcast from the property. Incidentally, I'd say, like, Paranormal Investigator is probably right up there in my yeah. dream job list. Oh, absolutely. But I would probably actually piss my pants if anything ever actually happened. I um, went for a, a little a little drive with my, my dear dad today because he's trying to get, help me get my licence with the ripe age of 28. Yeah. Good good guy, Papa Maud. Oh, yeah. He's, he's 11. Shout out to, shout out to Ian. Anyhow, near my house, there's a old abandoned like Catholic orphanage, and it, it, like <laughs> Catholic orphanage. You of just course. you just yeah. you just hear the word orphans, and it, what did I say? Abandoned. It's been turned into like luxury <laughs> apartments. Why did I say? <laughs> well, there's no longer orphans there. Yeah, the the orphans have um the orphans have left the building, and it, it part of me kind of wants to find out who lives there and and just be like, can I come in and get the vibes? So you don't know me, but I think you would like me if you got to know me. <laughs> And I shouldn't I, laugh at that. Sorry, you're a fantastic person. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I just, I really want to look for ghosts in your home. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see that happening. But it, it looks so, like, even, like, on a beautiful day like today, it looked, it looked like a nightmare. Eerie. Like, yeah. yeah. There's, like, um... Was the, the, the Silent Hill fog? There, there was <laughs> no Silent Hill fog, but they've got in the, like, little... I don't know what the word is, but, like, you know, where there's, like, a little archway cut out of the brick and there's a yeah. statue in it? It's all, like, you know, yeah. like, people being, like... An architrave? I believe you. Oh, like a, like a, like a jesus one? Yeah, but, like, of, like, bishops oh, or saints. Yeah, or, okay. Yeah, and so they're, like, looking down on you, like, I oh, know no. what you did last summer. No, I went to a public school. Don't look down on me. I don't, I don't know things. <laughs> But yeah, it's so creepy. Sorry, continue. No, that's all right. You know, what, um, another just aside before we get back to it, we 100% have to talk about the uh, teachers' college at some point. I went on a ghost tour there once. We, we went together. Oh, we did too. Oh, <laughs> shit. Sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh. No, that's fine. So we will find a topic that we can worm that in because it that's some history. But I was not on any drugs that night. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so back to it. So Stephen Bulk, our, our, our main man, as a boy, he'd been really interested in this 1972 BBC special called The Stone Tape. And in that, it was about scientists investigating haunted architecture. And it was sort of like whether these bricks and stuff contain memories, hmm. like some sort of spiritual haunting thing. So... On the project that would later become Ghostwatch, Volk remembers saying to producer Ruth um, Baumgarten, why don't we instead do this investigation, a mystery story, but pretending it's a live transmission from a haunted house? And he says, I remember that moment very clearly. She was very excited about that. Mm-hmm. However, Baumgarten, uh, she questioned how viable an entire miniseries would be and so she recommended that they instead do a tv special and volk agreed to this and said they'd do the whole thing like episode six so that is uh portraying it as an actual live inverted commas broadcast presented by tv personalities mm-hmm. in my notes here i have a picture of him so just so you get a vibe oh he looks like a nice man he hey. looks like a dad can i can i interject something <laughs> yeah so sure the, the thing about the 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 fake journalism yes so have you ever seen the movie the tunnel uh is that australian yeah Yeah. yes yeah yeah so it's basically the the premise is a disgraced journalist is trying to get a career back by Mm. investigating the uh the abandoned railway tunnels underneath sydney always a good idea yeah uh ghouly business ensues (laughs) but this is this is where it gets upsetting is that i i remember i had a really really bad flu to the point where i was just like if i don't if i get more sick than this i'm you know gonna have to hospitalize yeah or like priest i don't know like the last right something yeah Yeah. okay get the guys from the the statues at the orphanage yeah yeah somebody (laughs) they'll do in a pinch yeah so i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna curl up in bed and watch the tunnel and great idea i must have i must have had been running like a fever or something because i mm. genuinely got it into my head that this was real found footage oh no and, and, and always and, a mistake yeah so i i was watching the tunnel and i was just like how have i never heard about this before <laughs> Why, remember you- that time the government's <laughs> buried it it's a conspiracy this this goes all the way to the top you know the people deserve to know <laughs> And then, and then I sort of went from watching the movie to dreaming about the movie, and then I woke yeah. up and I was just like, "What the fuck?" You had yeah. experience, yeah. So found found footage is always it's it's always fun, yeah, exactly. And this is a little bit different to found footage because yeah, it was just sort of presented as a live broadcast. So they're like, "We're coming from the house," <laughs> um, but they were not indeed. Well, like, they were filming at the house, but you know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't live. <laughs> Like someone with like you know like really thick sideburns holding a microphone. Yes, exactly, exactly. So Volk, the writer said, and I I actually love this. What is the biggest philosophical question of human beings? It is: Is there life after death? Do we go on, or do we just turn to dust? And what would a TV company do with that existential question? They'd turn it into a TV show with stupid phone-ins, stupid experts, and stuff to fill the boring bits. Mm. This idea of blurring reality and fiction isn't unheard of in today's media, especially with the success of scripted reality TV. So, I mean, it's bizarre, but things... I've never watched it, but, like, I think Jersey Shore, like, I think it's scripted, Mm. and some shows like that probably even parts of Australia slash America's Next Top Model, like we were talking about before. Is Jersey Shore the yeah. one where everyone has all the tan? Like the yeah. fake tan? Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, with Snooki. That's the only oh. thing I know, that she's short and she's tan. God bless her. Like alt-universe you, in which you have a tan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, not that there's anything like you, but I just meant that you're short and pale. <laughs> I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you look like Oswald Cobblepot, okay, man? I'm telling you to your face. But, uh, and then also found footage films. Like, that's a huge thing now that we all know about. But at the time, this was very different, fandangled, new. The draft uh, of the script went through multiple rewrites. Many TV executives are confused about the script because they'd be like, uh, huh? So it's from the thing, but you're not at the thing. Except Where's the sideburns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Stephen Volk uh, said of this, uh, there was a lot of head scratching and puzzlement when Baumgarten had meetings with these people trying to explain what we were trying to do. They didn't get it when they read it. While it was written in this peculiar way, they didn't understand how it was going to work. Yeah. The BBC also started to become concerned about the effects of the program because obviously, I guess, you know, BBC, it's pretty well respected. And they were sort of, oh, but if we present this thing as real and it's not real, are people going to be, ooh, BBC, yeah. we'll get you. So they very actually nearly pulled the show before broadcast, which has some major foreshadowing, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Jonathan Powell, the controller of BBC One at the time, insisted just two days before transmission that the drama tag and credits be applied to the ghost watch transmission so to be like it is clearly this is fiction there's credits even though it's not presented that way credits look fake yes he said of the producers richard and ruth thought if we did that people would miss out on the joke that they were playing i vividly remember saying you can't do this richard was pushing the line if not overstepping it completely to try and get the thing passed Ruth, for obvious reasons, uh, basically later went on to say that she's glad that that Jonathan pushed for this because stuff happened. Yeah. (laughs) And he also styled the continuity announcement at the beginning to make the fictional element clear. So, you know, the previous show finished and it said, a screen one presentation, a film. Mm. And they had the credits with the writers' names in them. So it was, it became like a Halloween special. Yeah. Um, so the big day came, Halloween, the one night we, where we emerge from our chrysalises into our true form. Where the, the, the veil between life and death is at its thinnest. Yes, exactly. So on Saturday, uh, the 31st of October, 1992, a mm-hmm. fine vintage, um, starting oh, airing at... Sorry, uh, your, your birthday is... No, it's my mum's birthday, but I'm close. I'm oh. very close. Oh, I'm 26. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> sorry. It's all right. So airing at 9.25. Oh, the dog's birthday's Halloween. Oh. Yeah, she's a spoopy girl. I got a new dog about two months ago. She's so cute. She's yeah. got these giant paws and oh my God. And lots of jowls. It's very nice. And finishing it at 11 p.m., 11 million people watched the special Ghost Watch on BBC One. True to Volk's vision, the work appeared to be an authentic investigative report broadcast live. I'm doing the hand gestures too. Very, oh, okay. Yeah. You're, yeah, Jess is miming thing, something being widespread. <laughs> so for, for contextual purposes, yeah. so this is 1992. Yes. So there's a lot of... So we were we were fetus. Yeah. Well, well we were not fetus. Was, we were... I was literally, as we said, because I'm... 26th of October. This is the 31st of October. I was a couple of days old. Yeah. Yeah. I was... How do numbers work? I was born at the, I was born at the end of February, so I would have yeah. been about seven, eight yeah. months. Yeah. yeah. So you would have some months on you, and I was like practically a new newborn ripped from the womb. Yeah. Yes. So sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, so I'm I'm envisioning like um 1992. Yeah. The denim on top and denim 
the low. <laughs> nice. Yep. Like big hair. Yep. The weird spindly fringe that everyone had, like the crunchy fringe. It's actually one of the presenters who I'll talk about in a second. <laughs> the woman, she does have like a blonde kind of like like hairsprayed kind of fringe thing going on. But yeah, it, yeah, it was like the fringe was like a claw that sat on your forehead. <laughs> yeah. It's a head crab trying to get your brains. <coughs> so it appeared to be delivered from a house in Nordholt. Probably not saying that right. Sorry, any British viewers. Where the occupants were troubled by a sinister presence that banged on the water pipes. The story was loosely based on the tale of the Enfield poltergeist. Do you know that? Or oh, more yeah. to make your face. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Are you the Duffman or the Kool-Aid guy? <laughs> Those are your two options. <laughs> yeah. So the studio scenes were recorded in Studio D, BBC Elstree Studios. And the scenes of the house were all shot about five to six weeks before the recording of the studio scenes on location. Mm-hmm. So the house bits are actually at a house, the studio bits are actually at a studio, but they join them together later. Yeah. In the live, inverted commas, studio was the trusted skeptic, Michael Parkinson, you know, old mate Parky. You know him? I, oh, yeah, why did I think his first name was David? Like, well, like Parkinson is in the, the interviewer. Yeah, yeah, Parkinson of the... the <laughs> Parkinson. <laughs> the Parkinson thing. Yeah. And he was talking to an expert on the paranormal at the house, so like live on the ground, uh, engaging with the household uh, occupants, which were a mother and two girls, was a children's presenter named Sarah Green. She's the one I was talking about. She has blonde and like the head yeah, claw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was also Craig Charles, an actor best known for Red Dwarf, which I haven't actually seen, but I feel people tell me it's that funny. I would yeah, yeah. <laughs> enjoy. It, it's extremely funny. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like I'd be into that. <laughs> he was the reporter on the ground. He kind of interviewed bystanders and talked about how much he disliked Halloween. Mm. Then you also have Mike Smith, who is Sarah Green's real-life partner, and he was running the phone set up, so, like, with the flashing number, like, call now, blah, blah, blah. Call like, now and yeah, let get tell <laughs> if you have something that you want to commute, communicate to the, the great beyond. Yeah, like. buy steak knives. Um, <laughs> so viewers were asked to call in with their own ghost stories, which becomes important <laughs> later, mm-hmm. and the phone number is on the screen, so you can call in and discuss the ghostly phenomena the number was just the standard bbc call-in number and callers who got through were connected to a message which reinforced that the show was fictional Mm -hmm. and then were given a chance to share their own ghost stories Mm -hmm. however (laughs) the phone number was so wildly popular with callers during the broadcast that many people who telephoned simply got an engaged tone Mm -hmm. so that didn't help reassure the uh, the victims Freudian and a half. <laughs> the view is that it was fiction. The one thing that I can't, I keep coming back to that's yeah. really bothering me is what were, what is his name, Craig? Craig? Who's Craig? The, 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 the red wolf guy. Oh, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I like how I read the thing and I'm like, it's, I think it is Craig. Let's go back. What was yes, Craig, Craig. Charles, yeah. Was he like politically opposed to Halloween? Like, was he like, <laughs> I'm just like, why, you know, did he just not... Our sacred holiday. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was playing a fictional character of himself. I don't know if he actually dislikes Halloween. Oh, okay. Remember, it's fake. I thought he was like, this is my chance to get my views across. (laughs) He's just super religious and he was like, nah, none of them fandangled demons. (laughs) 
Ooh, okay, that, that makes all but of sense. I don't know. I don't know what his actual uh, political stance on <laughs> Halloween is. So the scenes of the house and street were played in the studio where uh, Michael Parkinson, Mike Smith, and there was a Dr. Lynn Pascoe, who was meant to be this paranormal expert. Mm. And they sort of talk about things. So Parkinson would be like, skeptic, skeptic, skeptic. Dr. Pascoe would be like, but what if we're ghosts? <laughs> and they would, you know, do their thing. <laughs> Skeptic, skeptic, um, skeptic. That's exactly how he speaks. Oh, yeah. goodness me. So it certainly added to the believability of this live broadcast, having these well-known TV personalities, mm. especially, like, as was, like Parkinson's pretty, normally pretty straight-edged, pretty to the point, yeah. and a children's TV presenter in the mix. So the set and filming methods included our beloved shaky handheld camera. Mm. So it sort of had that documentary feel. I know you like your your ghost hunting shows. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite? I have a bit of a crush on Zach Bagans. <laughs> like the, the the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. Yeah. He's a very flamboyant young man. I've tried to watch some ghost hunting things and I just get like annoyed. I'm like, stop shaking the camera! Stop squealing! I can't see what's happening! To be quite honest, not... <laughs> None of these shows are compelling scientifically. It's more that, like... No! They always... Yeah. <laughs> it's surprising. Yeah. They they give... Because I'm a big fan of... I didn't say history. Like, that's a very broad brush. But, like, <laughs> the, everything that ever existed. They, they give, like, the ghosts background oh, story. Oh, that's nice. It's like, this is why the ghost is mad. And you're like, yeah, fair enough. I'd be mad too. If, if you know, I yeah. was hanged from yon tree. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be upset. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. So, at the time, a lot of the techniques they used in the show weren't staples like they are in ghost hunting shows. So, even though I haven't watched a whole heap of ghost hunting shows, all this stuff that they listed, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not new to me. So some of it was genuine state-of-the-art technology and some was just uh, stimulated, i.e. fake, to give the idea that the investigation was real. The house was allegedly equipped with motion detectors, temperature sensors and cameras. Mm. The show references temperature changes being linked to ghosts and claimed to be monitoring the temperature in each room of the house to check for ghosts and temperature changes, etc. So one of the major the uh, features was a thermographic camera, which, although it did not pick up any ghosts in the main part of the broadcast at the houses, it was very useful when all the lights failed at the end of the show. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so it kind of starts pretty sedately. So in the first half of the show, the reporters do not appear to be taking the whole thing seriously. Like Craig Charles, uh, Red Dwarf Man that I forgot the name of, he hides in the pantry, he bangs things, he jumps out of the pantry wearing a rubber mask. So, you know, he's he hates Halloween, he's not into it, he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> um, like what's going to be really scary? <laughs> I'm going to jump out at people wearing a rubber mask. Yeah. I just like, like I, had a, I, I know... You're describing a monster mask, but all I can think of is the gimp mask from Pulp Fiction. Like, <laughs> because, because I'm just in Corona Zone, and so I'm like, mask, like a medical mask, yeah. and I'm like, all right, all right, ahead of your time, mate. Disease. Yeah. Pestilence. So gradually through footage and interviews with the neighbours and the family living there, the reporters and crew discovered the existence of a malevolent ghost whose nickname Pipes. The origin of this being resident children in the house had always asked their mothers about the noises they heard and she'd be like, oh, it's just the pipes. Oh. 
It's pretty cute. Yeah, it's a very mum thing to say. Yeah. So viewers called in with their own experiences, which increasingly became more violent and seemingly related to the show itself. Later viewers learned that Pipes is at least in part the spirit of a psychologically disturbed child molester named Raymond Tunstall, who had previously lived in the same house with his aunt and uncle. Tunstall is reported to have believed himself to have been troubled by the spirit of Mother Sedens. I don't know if I'm saying that right. So this this ghostly backstory, is that's developed by the writers. Yes, yeah. it's fake, but... As I'm about to say, basically, so this mother Sedens, she or Sedens, I don't know, mm-hmm. she was a baby farmer mm-hmm. turned child killer from the 19th century, and she was probably based on the real-life killer Amelia Dyer. Oh, goodness. Is that ringing some bells? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I literally wrote here pretty much, like, Maud, Maud will know these things, because, like, <laughs> baby farmers, I'm like, that's something you'll know something about, because you like British like period dramas what is a ghoul she'll know about that like do you know much about baby farming because i i didn't really it is exactly what it says in the tin but like i looked into it because i was i don't like why are you farming babies like what's happening believe it or not one of the worst instances of that happening happened in australia yeah in the thing here i have it did happen in australia so basically what would happen was and this is this is hugely simplified yeah because i don't actually know that much i i do know about it though like for me to have the note i I love that i understand you (laughs) i got you babe you complete me but yeah so what would happen is that say a young woman who was unmarried and probably low socioeconomic if she got pregnant but didn't want to give the baby up she would give it to these quote-unquote baby farmers to take care of yeah and she'd give them a portion of her paycheck to be like this is for upkeep yeah and often what would happen is that they would Baby go bye-bye. Take the money. Uh, I don't say kill the baby, but that's yeah. pretty much what or they something, did. Or servitude, at least. Yeah. Something not good. And and that's what that Amelia Dyer was doing, I assume. Yeah, yeah. yeah there have been, there've been instances where the police have come on a tip-off and dug up the backyard and there's just been mm. 20 infant skeletons. Just... Ugh. It's, it's one of the worst things I can possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Our family in Grafton, they live in an old church. There's going to be, like, some babies buried here, isn't there? Like, just oh. something about ye olde churches. You, there's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. The zen. <laughs> <laughs> so, not real... Not real ghosts, but based on some real very real stuff evil. yeah so the aforementioned parapsychologist that i had in the studio dr pasco theorized that the entity or energies manifesting as ma- manifesting as pipes had been accumulating for years possibly back to prehistory didn't think it was a, a new ghost thought it was like a a thing that had been around for a while. So not just to do with Tunstall, not just to do the baby farming. So in the program, Raymond Tunstall, the, the whole uh, concept of is introduced by a phone-in caller. So someone calls in and is like, yeah, this is like, I think it's this dude. It's explained that he killed himself in the 1960s, presumably after being possessed by the entity. Appearance-wise with pipes, uh, when you do sort of see him, it's very slowly introduced. So, And the thing is, it's kind of... <sighs> I don't want to use the term because it's not quite right and it's like out of context, but it's almost like it kind of gaslit viewers because there's nothing there. But like you at home would be like, dude, I totally saw a ghost in the mirror and you don't see it. And like, that's really scary because Mm -hmm. it's made to look as it's live. So 
if you didn't get the credits at the beginning, mm. obviously you tune in and you're like, I see a spoopy thing that the, the person does not see. Like, <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm just more in tune with the paranormal. Yeah. It's because I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> so appearance-wise, when you do see pipes, the eyes are missing. The face is badly mauled. This is kind of owing to the multiple pet cats who are locked up in the room with him during the suicide and had gotten hungry in the week prior to the discovery of his body. It also dons a black woman's dress, which is likely to represent the part in the manifestation of the the baby killer, um, so the mother Sedans. Mm. And it's sort of suggested that one of the daughters in the house might be sort of becoming entwined in that uh, unholy trinity thing going on. That dark Um, triad. Yes. So, because she's kind of... There's something happening with her mm. and that. So eventually a, the crew catches one of the children making banging noises on the pipes and she's basically like, no, I just want people to believe this because it's creepy, like something's wrong here. As a result of this, Parkinson is very quick to dismiss the whole thing as a hoax. But Dr. Pasco is reserved. Calls from viewers claiming to have seen pipes. Their descriptions eerily match the ones that were given months before the program aired. Further calls tell how poltergeist activity is now occurring in other homes, and one of the crew is even injured after a mirror falls on him. So Pipes continues to make various increasingly scary and overt manifestations mm-hmm. until at the end Dr. Pasco realises that the TV program itself, which is being broadcast live, or broadcast live, has been acting as a sort of national seance through which Pipes is gaining power. That's genuinely very scary. (laughs) It is genuinely very scary. And you can imagine watching this as a kid or like whatever, and you don't have a concept that it's not real. Once you're in the program, you'd be like, cool, it's live, it's Halloween. I think if I had watched that as a child, my mind would have consumed itself. (laughs) Like I would have, yeah. There's some footage that shows the police arriving. Finally, the spirit full goes for it. It drags Sarah Green, the host that was at the house, out of sight behind a door and escapes. It takes control of the BBC studios and transmitter network uh, using the Ghostwatch studio. Everyone's terrified at the studio. Lights explode. Parkinson is alone, stumbling around the darkened studio. He's trying to carry on hosting, and he wonders if any of the cameras are still working. After seeing the teleprompter is still active, he begins to read from it. At first, it's kind of nonsensical. And then eerily, his own voice changes to Pipe's voice. He asks viewers. I know, it's so creepy. And it gets worse. Like this is this is the reality TV, which was fake. And wait until we get the real stuff. Like it's it's wild. So he asks the viewers if they really believed the story about Mother Sedens. And the show ends as Parkinson slash pipes calls out Fee Fi Fo Fum. That's the primary of Ghostwatch. (laughs) But the legacy does not end there. Um, behind the scenes, Parkinson, the crew, everyone was like actually safe <laughs> and uh, enjoying celebrated celebratory drinks because they're like, yeah, like we did it, Halloween special, cool. So Ruth uh, Bonegarden, that's one of the producers that we were talking about before, she arrived uh, and said that the switchboard had been jammed at the BBC. Uh, and this is uh, Volk talking about what happened. Um, he said, I kind of laughed lightly, and she said very seriously, no, they are jammed with people. They are very irate. And he says that was a bit of a gulp moment. So so basically this – so the broadcast has ended, and yes. they're all like, oh, Yeah, we a- did it. Like, what a success. And people yeah. are still calling in. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that – 
a ghost is Michael Parkinson is like yeah like possessed or something I mean maybe not all of them it's really hard to know because Mm. like so many phone calls and it's hard to say whether all of them were like either you know well totally good job Parkinson (laughs) or if they were like you've summoned the devil who knows yeah yeah so more than 20,000 people had tried to get through to Parkinson at one point during the program so, that, I mean, it's a lot. It was a lot happening. Many of the viewers were children <laughs> and had been left traumatised. So, and Volk went on to say, uh, I think three women who were pregnant went into labour that evening. A vicar phoned in to complain that even though he realised the show wasn't real, he thought the BBC had raised demonic forces. And it was partly that it scared people, but the complaints were actually more than that. Some people felt like the BBC had made them feel like mugs, is the quote. Like, they felt stupid for believing in it. You don't just raise demonic forces by accident. Like, you have to really try. You have, you have, to, you have to be committed and prepared and, yeah. It's about commitment. Yeah. <laughs> so people felt that the BBC was doing something that they could trust and the program had destroyed that trust. So that was a big thing. So the next day, 30,000 phone calls from Ghostwatch viewers and British papers heavily criticised the BBC. Mm. A rumour emerged that Sarah Green, remembered because she was a children's, adver- no, not advertiser, but like host person, mm. there was a rumour that said that she had advertised the program on her Saturday morning kids show going live. This, however, fully debunked like it wasn't intended for children it wasn't targeted at them the real truth is basically that green did make an appearance the following monday on the children's bbc block to reassure younger viewers that might have caught the show i'm fine it was fake Hmm. a number of psychological effects were reported in ghost watchers wake including basically the first sort of incidences from ptsd from a children's uh, children's program from a tv program so it's having a profound effect. Mm. Yeah. In Nottingham, the Denham family, April and Percy Denham, watched the ghost watch along uh, with their sons, Martin, 18, Gavin, 14. Parents noted how their older son, Martin, had become restless during the broadcast. It says, uh, he sort of curled up while watching it. We asked if he was all right, but he seemed hypnotised by it, says Mrs. Denham. In the days that followed the broadcast, the Denham saw changes in Martin. Martin asked to move bedrooms, never explained why. So his mum said he seemed entranced with the talk of ghosts. The radiators in their house were noisy when heating up, so it was very similar to the pipes thing that had been in the program. Mm. He seemed a bit upset because things were happening at the time in the house that had been happening on Ghost Watch, i.e. the pipes banging, his stepfather adds. So sadly, uh, just five days after the broadcast, Martin took his own life. <sighs> Heavy. You can imagine being the producers and like <clears throat> maybe they're on the high about the program and this would be so unintentional so not conceived he left a note to his to his mother which read if there is ghosts i will now be one and i will always be with you as one the denims learned of martin's death from police they were both at work um so mr denim says i started swearing when i heard about the contents of the note i knew it was the program this is i don't know like does does it go into whether martin had mental health so there's some stuff here he did have a developmental thing he was 18 Mm -hmm. but he was he did not have the mental age of an 18 so he shouldn't have been watching it possibly it's not something necessarily 
that I guess we would ever blame the parents oh, for. Oh, God, no, or no, like, no, no, no. Um, like, it just wasn't. Them. And you wouldn't have known, I guess, necessarily that this would have such a profound effect. No. Yeah. No, I'm, I, yeah. by no means. No, like, I yeah. know. Yeah. So producer Ruth Bromgarden that we are talking about before, and she was pregnant when they were doing filming the program and stuff, so is a mother herself, would have, you know, just – probably had a maybe a newborn when it went to mm. air. So it, she said it was the worst hours of her life. She thought that she'd been responsible for potentially frightening a child to death or a person to death. Jesus. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Um, it's reported that the coroner's report mentioned nothing about the program. Mm. Uh, so Stephen Volk, the writer, creator, he said, but it wouldn't, would it? If you could turn back the clock, you would. Like, I think... And I believe that. Like, I mean, it's it, so hard <coughs> because it's such an unpredictable thing that did happen. Hmm. There was a complaint from the Denmans as well as 34 others, and the High Court granted the Denmans permission for a judicial view, uh, which required the BSC, uh, which is the Broadcasting Standards Commission, to hear their complaint. So there was the investigation that concluded that the corporation, which would be the BBC, had a duty to do more than simply hint at the deception it was practising on the audience. Mm. It added there had been a deliberate attempt to cultivate a sense of menace. They ruled that the program was excessively distressing and graphic, Mm. such as uh, the scratches on the children, references to mutilated animals, and also that it had aired too soon after 9pm, which is the watershed. They further stated that the presence in the program of presenters familiar with children's program took some parents off guard in deciding whether it was okay for the children to watch yeah because you you know like if 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 you sort of saw one of the wiggles (laughs) yeah i was gonna say monica trapaga remember her from she was an angel but yeah i think she was like my first crush yeah like she's like hindsight (laughs) like little baby gay before you know you're a baby gay yeah yeah (laughs) Or, like, who, who else is it? Like, N- Noni Hazelhurst. Like, yeah. if I yeah, if I saw Noni Hazelhurst on something, I'd be like, sure, more junior. Cat <laughs> is fit to watch this. <laughs> yeah, like, and I kind of get that, but obviously they weren't thinking about that. Mm. So the film's producers argued, like, when they're doing this whole, you know, not trial, but investigation that Ghostwatch had aired during a drama slot so that's like when they always played a movie or something that it uh, was recognizable as fiction to the vast majority and that running disclaimers or other announcements uh, frequently throughout the program would have ruined its effectiveness Mm because it basically did have one of like the start and finish sort of thing yeah they also stated that had they anticipated the audience reaction, they would have made the fictional nature clearer. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's... It, you people, could not have predicted <laughs> yes, that. Yes, no, like. I, I think the whole thing... And the high of being like, oh, it was really successful, lots of people watched it, to being like, shit. Yeah. There are people that are very, very scared and very angry with us. Yeah. And uh, a life. So after the BSC ruling, the BBC issued an apology... So Martin's stepfather said, there's nothing you can do. I've just let it go now, but it's still there. Uh, to this day, the family does not watch BBC programs or anything featuring Michael Parkinson, which I can kind of understand. Yeah. Like every time you'd see Parkinson, you'd probably be reminded of 
what happened. Yeah. It's still one big mystery and he isn't here, so I'm not able to ask him. Mrs. Denham says Martin was happy. He never had any problems. He had got a girlfriend and job and had every everything to live for. Even though he was a slow learner, he had done well for himself. He had everything going for him and it changed just like that. So uh, the writer Volk, uh, he has declined to comment on the death out of respect for the family and i think there is nothing you could say yeah like what how do you how do you comment in a way that isn't there is i don't i don't think there are words the right string of words and i guess if he fully like accepted fault or anything Mm. i don't know i think it would mess you up as well so inquiry was made by the bbc by the then managing director will wyatt and a report was commissioned Executives were looking for someone to blame, like a scapegoat sort of thing. Parkinson said that their reaction showed the BBC at its corporate worse. The show's producers, uh, Ruth Baumgarten and Richard uh, Broke, appeared on BBC's One's uh, consumer watchdog show, Bite Back, to basically defend themselves and sort of apologise, like a bit of both. After Ghostwatch, Baumgarten uh, received hate mail for saying that things like 200 years earlier she would have been burned as a witch. As I said before, she was six months pregnant when they made the show. She told the presenter, like, you know, she'd gone out to buy, like, the mumsiest, most harmless outfit. It's sort of, I guess, like a side note, doesn't matter too much, but Richard Broke uh, is also a wheelchair user. Mm-hmm. So they sent out the mum and the guy in the wheelchair to be like, defend us. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's, <laughs> like thanks, BBC. It's harder to, yeah. it's harder like, to <laughs> throw at these people. Which I think would have been pretty deliberate. Yeah. Like, I mean, mm. So Bonegarden doesn't she doesn't work in TV anymore. She's a criminal lawyer now. Good for her, I guess. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. Smart cookie. <laughs> On Bite Mac, parent uh, adults, people in general, mm-hmm. voice their outrage. Uh, one father, he he full on believed that it was real and basically put it down to Parkinson being a well known fatherly figure. Um, and there's people crying like exploiting children, lying to the public, like all those things. Like it's a huge thing. So BBC were really embarrassed by it, says Jonathan Powell. So Jonathan Powell was the one that we're talking about before. Mm -hmm. He was the one that insisted that there be the drama label at the beginning of it. So, um, good, good, good good forethought, uh, (laughs) Jono, mate. There's just this feeling that they should shove it in the vaults and lock it away. Adults don't like being made into fools in front of their children because it undermines their parental position. I think he's hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, something that's supposed to be a bit of sort of wacky fun. I mean, obviously yeah. not with the, like, empty eye sockets and stuff like that. That's... Yeah, and it started at 9 o'clock, but it finished at 11, so... I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I know what I was like when I was a kid. I used to watch, like, Laura not at SVU and was, like, 10, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. Dun-dun. <laughs> Especially heinous. <laughs> I guess you can't predict, too. I'm, I'm sure everyone's the same. So things that scared me as a child, like, they're not necessarily, like, predictable. Yeah. So, like, one... like. Independence Day. I had nightmares about the aliens in Independence Day. And it's really not, watching it now, like, it's really not that spooky. But, like, oh, I can terrified me. Like, yeah. absolutely terrified me. But then, you know, like, there was other stuff I was watching that wasn't so terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trying to think. I, because I was not, I think probably because my parents were like, we know what you're like. <laughs> you, you are not watching this thing because we will have to deal with your shenanigans at midnight. Because my, my best friend, when I was a child, she had an old brother and an older sister who were a bit sort of um 
God love them. Their, their, their family was a bit fast and loose. And so, so my friend ended up watching some things that were probably not age appropriate. <laughs> I remember. Names redacted. No, names redacted. No. Yeah. Um, but the, one of the things that I accidentally was exposed to was a Jeff Goldblum in <laughs> the fly. No, I was like, I, I probably should have phrased that, but it's like, I was exposed to Jeff Goldblum at a young age. <laughs> yeah, it was the, f- and I, I have real problems with anything with body horror. I it. thought you were going to say you have real problems with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> like, all right, go off. But like, <laughs> yeah, like anything to do with like body parts where there shouldn't be yeah. body parts and yeah. yeah. Like- I don't like aliens, but like the, the humanoid grey sort of ones, <laughs> like, like Alien, like the series, the Ridley Scott thing. Those aliens are alright. I mean, they'd be terrifying in real life. <laughs> when they're like, mm-hmm. but I don't like the the humany like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the yeah. ones from what's it called? The movie with those guys? No, um, <laughs> it's an M Night Shyamalan. Oh, a bit of um, yes. Signs. Signs. I was gonna say silence, and I'm like, nope. Silence. <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. So the reaction was far greater than we could have imagined. We were naive in that respect. Uh, so this is still at, uh, old mate Pal, um, John O'Pal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they basically said that they couldn't made it more. Couldn't have made it more obvious that it was drama short of, like, having things between each ad break or, like, arrows on the screen. The aim had not been to mislead the British public, they said. Plenty of clues along the way that the program was fake. In the summer, newspapers had carried the story that Michael Parkinson was going to make his acting debut. It it wasn't – this was not a secret. It was like, yep, movie, yep, there's this, yep. Mm. Uh, The Radio Times had included a cast list. Basically, there's a quote here, and the children, they shouldn't have been up. It was broadcast after 9pm watershed, uh, but that didn't mean anything if your parents let you watch it. Yeah. Yeah. The week after Ghostwatch, Sarah Green received letters, like hundreds of letters from children who had watched her walk into the cupboard and get dragged away in that, you know, horror movie drag. Mm. And many sent pictures of drawings of pipes <laughs> so oh, like oh no <laughs> and some of them had been like you know watching from behind the couch or whatever so it's just little glimpses and they're like yep pipes really creepy kids drawings and then oh, no. combined with child molesty murder ghosts not good yeah that that's a recipe for disaster right there yeah and she's got this quote here so this is from sarah herself the bottom line is they shouldn't have been up but they were because it was halloween and because i was in it they associated me with saturday mornings and here i was on saturday night so Powell said it has the hallmarks to me of a bit of compromise I don't remember being concerned about using Sarah Green but maybe I should have been but she was brilliant I I do kind of see like in hindsight but yeah I mean that's why it's hindsight like you don't know so the problem with Ghostwatch he says is that it's so brilliantly done it has such an acute sense of the genres it's working in it doesn't go this is real, it goes, is this real? You ask the same question about the program that you ask about the paranormal. It makes you doubt yourself. And, yeah, so the backlash was really, really on it. Um, So some of the headings, um, there's Parky Panned for Halloween, right? Mm. In the Sun, Gary Bushell wrote, if you fell for it, (laughs) you're either still writing in crayon or you must have been overdoing it in spirits of a very different kind, which is a zing. So Gary is, like, a bit different. Roasted. But the general consensus was, as Manning had put it, that they'd broken the contract between Auntie and the public, Mm. Uh, Auntie being the BBC. 
And I feel like I should read this next one in an accent. How astonishing that the smug Parkinson should dismiss it all with such arrogance. Television, with its formidable power, should be very careful when combining apparent reality with alarming fiction. The BBC proves once again that it is out of control. Yes, governor. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, obviously with the aftermath, uh, the BBC distanced itself from Ghostwatch. It's only recent years that it's sort of been allowed to be celebrated because like it is a fantastic piece yeah uh, and that it's readily available volk said that he would have have liked to explain his intentions as a writer with the broadcaster far sooner than the anniversary dvd which was released a decade later he said i think if the bbc had not shut it down so completely there might have been more of an attempt to have a conversation about it mm-hmm. which makes sense he is still proud of ghost watch uh, which is the first project he did for television uh, he said, best result is people coming up to me and saying, I had to sleep with the light on for three weeks, but it got me into filmmaking. Oh. Um, and others have said it got me into horror. And he uh, had this quote from the author Ramsey Campbell on pushing the genre's boundaries, which is, I'm a great believer in what he says about horror, and that is that horror is sometimes the business that goes too far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so despite... The, the scandals, the obvious death. There's been some more positive angles in Ghostwatch's legacy. It's been credited for being amongst the direct inspirations for several other successful contemporary works, mm-hmm. such as British illusionist uh, Darren Brown's uh, uh, controversial TV hoax seance. Mm-hmm. Stephen Volk later wrote a short story entitled 3110 in 2006, which is basically a sequel to Ghostwatch. Many people who saw the program as children have kept it alive. Like, there is now a DVD, so you can go and watch it. I believe it's streaming on some services as well. So they organise groups and do anniversary streamings and stuff, like on Halloween. Stephen Volk has basically said, and I totally agree with this, that the program would not have the same reception nowadays. No, Um, people are much more critical. Yes, and the quote here pretty much sums it up. The bottom line is that no one would fall for it. It couldn't withstand the exposure of social media. The ritual of TV watching has changed, as has the nature of outrage. You're unlikely to get parents up in arms when children can watch ISIS beheadings on their phones. That's a very good point. But, yeah, I guess also we've just changed things like found footage, Mm. um, mockumentaries. It's all – it's out there. Like, it's a a much more well-known sort of genre piece. So, of course, it's, it's very difficult for us to imagine what it would be like to experience Ghostwatch in its original form in Halloween in 92, mm. um, but it is around. So if you do want to oh, watch man, it... Oh, I've got to watch it. <laughs> we should do a Halloween special and watch it. So that, my friends, is Ghostwatch, which is a wild ride from start to finish. That, my mind is blown that I have never heard <laughs> this before. So, to wrap up, what we were going to do is do our number generator for our topic next week. Teaser, you know, little strip tease, but podcasty. So, yeah, this thing, this is a really shady app and it's probably <laughs> selling all my data to... All right, drum roll, please. Oh, it's like a roulette. Yeah, and it's... <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Beauty scans. Hell yeah. All right, Jeffree Star coming for your brand. Oh, goodness. So, with that, any final words? Um, That sounded a bit final. (laughs) Any final words? May God have mercy upon your soul. Oh, hot damn. Thank you for telling me about this thing. 
that yeah. I'm now obsessed with. Happy uh, first episode. Should we do a fist bump? Yeah. <laughs> Caption, fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to go out for dinner and we'll see you for next week and hopefully many weeks to come. Except we won't see you, but voice. You'll, you'll, you'll see us in your hearts. Oh. You'll see us in your sleep paralysis dreams. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Au revoir.